I see you. I see you coming. Welcome to yet another edition of this strange thing that I'm doing. Hello, everyone. As always, we start with the blessings. Blessings to the spirit of earth. Blessings to the spirit of water. Mm, the water. The water is so nice. You get some too. Blessing the spirit of fire. Ooh, it's fire. Fire, fire, fire. And we have the spirit of air here. It's represented by the wonderful incense smoke. Blessings to all beings. May this be good for all our relations. And may this be good for me and you and everyone that listens to it in the future. Um, let's just take a moment to uh, take in the, uh, the surroundings of space around us. We are here in virtual space, but also in non-virtual space on this weird uh, dream called 2021, Year of the Yin Metal Ox. Um, where we don't know what's going to happen, but we sure want to pretend like we do. So blessings to all beings. We're going to talk some shit today. I got notes. Might not get to any of these notes. I also have questions in the mailbag, which was nice to uh, come in loaded with questions. Um, and if you don't know, on my website, there's a page. You can submit a question. If you're not here live, you can have other people do it. You can be anonymous in submitting those questions. Um, I'm actually going to pull up that page right now, just so I can see it for what it is, and then everything else goes away. So we have about five questions in there, plus I think one on Facebook that was really super intense, which I'll probably get on my, uh, my iPad. But uh, we talked some shit last week, and it, you know it might have it might have been too tame or not funny enough for people, or um, you know everyone's got their opinions. We're going to be talking about opinions today a lot. Talking about opinions, what are they? Like, what are they really? Um, and I just want to introduce everyone again. It's my co-host Moth Baby. Everyone, say hello to Moth Baby. This is very cute. I'm wearing this shirt, this new shirt I got. It has lots of mods on it. It's a moth baby dedication. I decided to um, to sort of, uh, you know, I can't, you know, there's no place to go out to anymore. So you got to dress up for the internet. It's very real. It's very, very real. Okay, so some things I want to chat about that have been sort of uh, getting me lately. Um, it has to do with uh, sort of like the mindset that we're, we find ourselves in. So I talked a bit about the view of the podcast last week, which is the overall cosmovision that I'm working from, that is working me, that is carrying me, that I'm trying to carry both and, right? 
And this is the sort of the basic. And I'm just going to keep referring to the basic. And I'm going to talk about the basic in a lot of ways. And there'll be a lot of aesthetic choices that I make based on that base. And um, something that, you know, I've been looking at uh, is mindset and how mindset, uh, mindset sort of determines our preferences and our opinions. So the mindset that we're coming into any given context, whether the mindset that we've constructed for our personalities is sort of determining how we spend our chi or essentially how we waste our energy. Like, so let's just be very clear that, you know, when I talk about this, I'm talking from a body that has been through some shit and I'm on the way down. I'm not going up. I'm going down. I'm 41. I've survived a bunch of weird diseases and death experiences and really terrible choices that I made while under the auspices of Western culture, which is a mindset. And I sort of like plateaued. <laughs> I had these little spikes where I thought I could like achieve something like, oh, I can be successful. I can achieve something. I can get in shape. I can have six pack abs. I can be a professional dancer. I can be a professional actor. I, I thought I could achieve something. And uh, the reality is, is that I'm probably not here to achieve anything. Um, and that's not a, that's not a, I'm not opening the door to depression here. That's a different thing. I'm opening the door to something that would be so honest that Western society would actually um, shit their pants at that level of honesty. So the Western mindset can't deal with what I'm bringing. It's gonna find all the ways to justify, fight, argue, debate, and create concepts to fight what I'm saying, okay? Now this is very important because I'm also infected by Western mindset. You're seeing me live constantly trying to detox from a kind of Westernism that is fundamentally opposed to natural reality and creates all of its own diseases and then says, why did you do that to me? So it's very much like a toddler who's like, well, why can't I eat all the chocolate in the world, mom? Why are you an evil mommy? How dare you take away my pleasure? We've all been around kids. We know how they are. They're a bit cuckoo. They're like, oh, they haven't really gelled yet. They're still half-baked. Um, but we're dealing with a culture who's essentially going, what do you mean? I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can achieve whatever the fuck I want. And if you tell me I can't, you're the enemy. So I'm detoxing that as I play this game with you called a live podcast. And uh, coming from a performance arts background, I guess. I mean, I didn't go to college and I didn't have a great childhood. So I came to performance arts in my late 20s, early 30s, you know. Um, I do think that the ritual of theater, especially improvised or spontaneous theater, which includes things like singing and dancing and all that, 
can provide us a kind of very interesting mirror, which actually can reveal itself through its own distortions, right? So as we fumble through life together, as I fumble through my own life, I'm not talking about a renunciate path, like, oh, I noticed myself creating a preference and creating desire. I noticed myself longing for something that I don't think I have, which is something we probably all experience on a daily basis, multiple times a day, is that I walk through life, something happens that I don't like, I immediately start creating a kind of energy construct, thought, belief, whatever, to get what I do want. Now, the renunciate path would say, no, you got to let go of all of it. You got to let go and you got to like, just lock yourself away in a particular way, fast. You have to fast for a particular amount of time before you can get over that shit. And I do think that's really useful way. And that's part of the path I'm talking about is this kind of like fasting from fasting from wasting energy, fasting from excessive yang tendencies of Western mindset and Western chauvinism. But actually what I'm talking about is the tantric path, which is more like, let's use our fucking distortions to uh, see what we see about ourselves. If I want to create or I want, I desire something that I don't think I have, let's get really into that. Let's get really into that distortion, which is like maybe jealousy or envy or despair or like, oh, nobody loves me and I never will be loved. And uh. like, but let's really get into it. Like, actually, let's actually feel what it's like to create that energy construct on purpose rather than it's just happening to me. It's just happening to me and I don't know what I'm doing. And right. So. This is a different thing that I'm, I'm talking about here. So using the theater of this screen based double screens, even right? Like, look what I'm doing. I'm looking at a screen to all of you while another screen is filming me. And then some people never see the screen because they only listen to it in audio. So you get this fractal of light, which is like, what's the real truth here, Dare? And the point is, is there is no one real truth. There's just nature as it actually is being sort of prismatically uh, thrown around like a hot potato, right? And so that's our preferences, our desires, our opinions, our longings, our hatreds, our loves, uh, everything that we create to um, trick ourselves into believing that we are an abiding self. And so Westernism is the best at this. Westernism loves to continually rewrite history five minutes after it happened to reify the mythology of an abiding self. With this is what America is. This is what the Romans were. Is this constantly trying to update its own files so that it doesn't crash its own server because there's too many contradictions in the real world that doesn't that don't fit into some kind of like neatly woven tapestry of perfection. Right, so it's constantly trying to not crash its own servers and that's actually a, a tremendous exertion of energy and resources. 
So you could even see the metaphor of colonial expansion being like, okay, we got to conquer this place and steal all their minerals and all their sugar and all their chocolate and all their diamonds. We got to steal all that stuff because we're fucking hungry. And why are we so fucking hungry? Well, we must be wasting a lot of energy trying to keep it together. Right. So there's no relaxation in the Western mindset. Relaxation is only something you earn after you exhaust yourself. So I'm guilty of it. I think maybe many people are. Um, so, but, but here's the funny thing about relaxation and also sleep and also death and also the exhale and also all of these things that are cyclical, the night, right? is that you need energy to transition into those states of regeneration. So if you show up to the door of sleep or the door of relaxation or the door of death, and you're at a negative deficit and you're like, wait, 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 just let me conquer another country, pour all this sugar chocolate down my throat. And now we can talk, we can talk about transitioning. Well, that's like, you're already, you're already a ghost and you just are catching up to your own hallucination, right? It's like this weird time dilation thing where you're like, I'm not dead yet. And like the gods are like, no, you've been dead for like a long, long time. And you're also a ghost. You've also been a ghost for a long, long time, but you've been spending a lot of energy to sort of like prevent yourself from seeing that, from sensing it naturally. Therefore, now you get it as a concentrated dose of reflection. It's not no one's doing it to you like, here's your ticket. It's just, it becomes clear, like a kind of fog lifting. And your reflection just sort of like arises and sort of subsumes you. Right? And so that's how we get what we call ghosts, which is like a haunting from our ancestors and that's not just blood ancestors that's the ancestors of everyone and everything that came before us that influence our lives so because we're all in a western civilizational mindset we are all being haunted by the ancestors of all those people that decided that spending the energy to create this distortion and then upon death realizing that their distortion did not bring them to heaven and in fact, heaven itself was a distortion. The, at least their version of heaven was a distortion, right? Um, that now the cycle goes, shit, now I'm trapped. And all I have is this sort of raw echo of desire to latch on to other beings who have bodies so that those bodies might actually maybe forgive my fucking dumb ass and help me rest because I can't rest now. I'm fucked up, right? So we basically go through like insomniacs, like just crying, help me sleep. Help me go home and sleep, right? So if we think about ghosts like that and we think about how we are actually part ghost, like a chimera, we're like a hybrid of ghostly energy, including natural energy that is not ghostly because it has no distortion, right? There's a pristine, uh, uncolonized spiritual collaboration happening 
If we think about it like that, then maybe we have a little more compassion for our pain, our fear, our anger, our hatred, and all those distortions that we keep seeming to generate all the time. I don't have enough, so I'm going to do this thing, right? Nobody loves me. I need more. And of course, that's not saying we're not vilifying any of it. We're just saying, let's take the Western mindset and put it actually where it belongs in cosmology not as the entire cosmology, but as a sort of like ritual theater that's been created over many, many generations by many, many kinds of people that is sort of cherry picking its own history to say, nope, this is it. This is it. This is what's going on. And then the rest of the universe and the ecosystem is sort of looking at it from and going like, you think are they asking for help? What? A, what's? I mean, should we help them? And some some beings are like, oh yeah, I like to help other beings who are totally drunk on their own insanity. I love it. Let me go in. Let me go in and play that game with them. But from hopefully I can remember who I actually am, not this like weird thing that happens once I go in that door, get covered with ectoplasm. And now I'm like, oh God. And that's babies, right? Babies are coming in and they're like, hey, I want to help. Oh, fuck. Oh God. Ah, what are you doing? To uh, right. right, right, right. So this is more of the view we're talking about. And, um, And lately I've been sort of, uh, I've been sort of looking at watching sort of like how Western mindset is trying to look at itself in order to save itself. As in like, oh, I think we're destroying the planet and we might not be here very much longer. Uh oh. Um, and how white anxiety, which is a symptom of the white mindset, sort of fights non-white mindsets when they're trying to help them, which is, no, 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 what you just said fucking was the wrong thing to do, and I'm very afraid now, and you're doing violence on me, and I, when there's no nothing of that happening. There's just ghost, ghost yelling happening right? There's ghost yelling happening, right? So how do we deal with this? And how do I deal with this? And how do I deal with it in my own microcosm, which is my own body, which is like the moment where that white ghost inside starts to go, I got to fix it. And I'm not, and my back really hurts because it does really hurt. You know what I mean? Like I have some issues, right? And I'm not perfect. I'm not like some like pristine gymnast on Instagram being like, you too can do the one-armed planche. All you have to do is train four hours a day. It's like, yeah, okay, buddy. Sure thing. Yeah, I'll do that right away, right away. Um, right, this kind of thing that's going on in our world, right? Where we actually have something called sensitive people that aren't perfect and in some way might be considered deformed or disabled in a mythological sense. But actually that disability goes right up against the very thin membrane of whiteness because whiteness is partially trying to be like, there's no such thing as disability. There's just, you're, you're, you're just not trying hard enough, right? And, and until, until enough white people, and this is, this, is, this is some real tea. So like, 
I'm this is this whole podcast is like trigger warning, right? Because I just don't give a shit anymore. Um, I think until enough white people either give give birth to um, neurodivergent or disabled children, or they themselves become disabled or neurodiverse or go insane or whatever you want to call it. There's all these words we can talk about. Is the words don't mean anything. People think they mean things, but they don't mean jack shit. The words don't mean anything, right? So it's like, are you crazy? Are you sane? Are you well? Are you unwell? This is just fucking words. It doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean anything. There's no absolute morality in the universe. There's, there's no morality. There's just nature, right? So in, I think, though, that until enough people infected with the white mindset, this kind of chauvinistic, individualistic, um, growth, 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 tumor, tumor mindset, this cancerous mindset. I think until enough white people become truly humbled, as in like life takes them out at the knees. And you can take that to be literally like, oh, you got paralyzed or like, oh, you got COVID. Or like, oh, I was fine, but my kid, or my partner, uh-oh, like nature came in and was like, oh, reality check. And um, I really truly believe that unless you've been gifted with the opportunity to be humble on, on purpose, because you have no other choice through either disease or some kind of accident or whatever, that you can't get out of this mindset because everything just keeps telling you and everyone else keeps telling you, oh yeah, you're fine, you're great, you're the, you're the wonderful, here's a prize for just being alive, you know? So we have this sort of whiteness trying to get out of itself constantly. And we have a lot of very smart white people, very smart white people, very, very well-meaning white people, they're so well-meaning, they really care. I mean, it's true. I'm not really belittling anyone. It's like, I can feel white people trying to care about me when they police me. Absolutely. Because, and also trying to care about their own family and their own sanity. They're like, ah, dare, you're harming me. So I gotta stop you because what you're saying is actually destroying my thinly fucking thinly fabricated entire reality, right? So I can feel the kind of like, please don't hurt me. I'm so sad. Right. But there's really something to be said for like getting over the threshold and just being like, okay, just be sad and hurt. And then keep living. Like actually like break your legs, fall down the cliff, eat dirt, eat shit. Figure out that half your friends are not actually your friends because they don't have energy for you. Just figure it out. <laughs> just fucking go through it. Get, go through the point where you're like, oh, right. They cannot actually, no, they can't. So bye. You know, they just can't do it. Can't do it. They don't have the energy because all their energy is being spent constructing the future that they think they deserve, which is the concepts, right? And so what we have is all these uh, very nice, very smart, very, very kind white people, um, going into battle armed with their flimsy concept constructions like a kind of psychic armor you know the very cartoon here's my concept and here's my you know, stoicism and here's you know socrates and here's 
here's Jesus' compassion. And they're all just concepts that are being like, that, that uh, need a lot of chi to keep going. So you're essentially hooking yourself up to leeches. You're like, here's a leech. I got, I got 50 golden leeches on me. Aren't I the best? And then you, you, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're pontificating and you're conceptualizing and you're like my concept versus your concept. And we're doing this kind of like Dragon Ball Z war, you know, like my concept versus your concept. And, um, at a certain point there's there, if you zoom out, it's like the Truman show right? That movie. It's like you have this whole arena of people cheering on the concept warriors who are like just, you know, golden leech everywhere, like hanging from their fucking eyeballs, you know, hanging from their, their dinglings, you know, just gold, just golden leeches everywhere, you know, and you zoom out and there's this mystery out there that is not playing that game because it's not wasting any energy on creating concepts. And so me, I'm like in the hallway of the arena, looking out of the arena. That's where I feel like I am. I was born in the arena. I was born as a, and, and colonized as a white boy, which is, you know, just how they did it. So I was colonized from the start. And then part of me was like, there's something, there's something wrong here. There's something real wrong here. And you got to survive long enough to get the fuck out. And that's been my life, four decades of going, how far away from this arena could I actually manage to get? Like how far, like what else is that? What's outside of this arena? Like why? And of course, you know, people have ideas and concepts about what's outside of the arena. And they're like, oh, don't go there because, or yeah, you should, right? This whole fucking like hall of mirrors dream thing. Um, but I feel like I am sort of not really outside of the arena yet. And I, I think, you know, on, on some of my, in some of my dreams, I feel like, when I die, I'll finally let go of the last piece of wasted energy that I was wasting and sort of fall over the threshold. Right. Whereas when I listen to people like Tyson Yon Kapoor to talk or, um, you know, they just come to mind because I've been listening to them sort of dialogue with a bunch of very smart white people lately on the Internet. Um, I can see that they actually made it out of the arena and they're like living somewhere else. And then they come back and visit the arena and go, oh, you know, maybe you should try this other thing. And then all the white people go, um, right. And I can't really speak for Tyson because I don't know them. But from what I sort of glean is I go, oh, there are people who totally live outside the arena. They live sort of like in in tandem with colonization but part of them is just like yeah this is just what happens you know this is just what people do and but they but they sort of are like they they're not completely inside the the mindset they're not like subsumed by the brainwashing the amnesia the kind of like constant wasting of energy right and i'm also not saying that i need to get out of the arena to be saved it's very very important it's very important. 
Because the moment I think that getting out of the arena would save me is the moment I'm right back in the arena. That's it. That's that's how the game works. That's how fucking psychedelic this shit is, right? Is that like, if I think that the arena is poison and outside of the arena is somehow cure, done. I'm just in the hall of mirrors forever. And I've done that for many years, right? Like you have to kind of, you have to kind of battle these kinds of strange uh, idea forms in your own soma for a while before you start to go, I think there's a better way. I think there might be a way in which I can enjoy my life as raggedy as it is and not not create a bunch of mythologies about its raggediness, but just be like, it's raggedy. But like, I can, I can light some incense. You know what I mean? It's like, it's raggedy, but it's not a problem that it's raggedy. You know, it's not a problem. It's just a kind of like noticing, oh yeah, we all made it real raggedy together. We kind of really, we really wore these shoes for a long time and they're kind of done, but we're still wearing them. So uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> spray some perfume on them or something, you know? So, so fundamentally, this isn't about being saved because saving is a concept. Somebody asked me, um, uh, they didn't consent for me to say their name, but um, I'm just gonna say that uh, I got some questions about, uh, when, I, when I posted on the Facebook, you know, animism is not a metaphorical approach. And, and somebody was like, something, something about belief. And I was like, oh, it's not about belief either, but I hear what you're saying. Right? Like, I hear what you're saying because I went through that. And let me unpack that for a little bit. So there's this time, there's this first part of time where you basically are in a gaslighting situation. You have no culture that's sane. So you're basically being gaslit all the time and ghosts are just haunting your ass all the time. And you're still trying to survive and you are hungry for pleasure. So your hunger is motivating you to uh, achieve things. And you're creating concepts all the time to protect yourself from the gaslighting. And for a lot of people, <laughs> for a lot of people, there's an excessive amount of doubt because of that. So it breeds a bit of doubt. It breeds like this kind of, I'm not good enough. Do I even deserve this uh, kind of thing where like, I don't know what my birthright is. No one's telling me who I am. I need to, right? And you find all these superficial um, interpretations of religion right? These superficial interpretations of religion that sort of tell you very strange things about how you could be saved if you just did these things or something. And this goes for everything. Stupid interpretations of Tantra that have no freaking basis in actual Tantra, zero. They're just Western mindset going, I want to be loved. They say sex is okay. so I don't And then they take Tantra and turn it into this, uh, other thing that's not tantra at all um but they sure like to say it is and then that's so that's a that's an example of like a really bad interpretation of things right like not actually not actually the, the real thing but an interpretation and then so doubt gets sown into that because you're constantly going i don't know if i'm really perceiving it reality accurately 
and I'm kind of I'm kind of constantly feeling undernourished and like really anxious and like unsettled and like sometimes I have a peak state of like joy and then it quickly turns into like a come down or a crash where I'm like oh shit now I gotta, gotta go run over here now ah you know so so the first thing to recognize is just that like doubt is a symptom of the mindset we're in and so we try to go from doubt to belief or I like to call it faith. And let's let's talk about the problem of faith and belief. It's a concept. It's another concept that requires a lot of energy. So your ego has to go, I believe in the power of Grayskull. Because the power of Grayskull will save me. And even if it's, I believe that there are ancestors and I believe that the trees are alive, like there's a kind of like, summoning of power that is still quite exhausting because you have to feed your faith or else you go back to doubt so now we have this binary of like well either i have faith and belief or i have doubt and it's like that's a double bind you don't want either of those you want something that is actually just um direct sensing of relational movement which is not moral and also can't predict the future right but it is more real because you're like oh something that i call a cat walked from here to here i think it yeah okay or like when i prayed to the tree spirits i felt a interesting warmth in my legs is that faith no it has nothing to do with faith doubt would be like did you really feel that did you really feel that i think you made it up so doubt is basically creating its own concept about its own concept which is doubt reads doubt reads out. did you did you really feel it is that I was hallucinating are you really you're making it up oh imagination is fake we don't know you know just constantly Right. And faith would say, I know exactly what this is. The trees have blessed me. And I know because. And this is happening all like subatomically on the quantum. You're just kind of creating justifications because you don't want to feel doubt. And there's something other than doubt and faith, which is just let me see what happens. I don't know, though. I could get my ass fucked up right now. <laughs> so I could pray to the tree and get hit with a lightning bolt. I don't know. Just because I prayed to the tree 500 times before and it never happened doesn't mean anything. I could pray to the tree and get hit with a lightning bolt. But you're still like, ah, but I when I pray to the trees, I tend to feel better, so I'm going to reluctantly carefully entertain the notion that this might be something good and real and an actual encounter that would nourish me right but you don't know in the same way that you don't know like what you're allergic to until you eat it and then you're like blah and you're like puking and covered in hives or something it's like whoa you didn't know you ate a bunch of food before and then you ate some food that didn't that doesn't mean all food is bad for you, but you don't know, and I don't know. So uncertainty as the base 
which is, I don't know, try it and find out, see what happens. How do you see what happens? Oh, I have to know how to sense things. Right? And so you start to get into the real problem with Western mindset. The real problem with Western mindset is not that they can't create concepts. It's that they can't not create concepts. They can't actually just be naked in the moment being like, oh, I'm noticing something over here in my kidney and I have an initial reaction to kill it. And I don't know why. I don't know why. And I'm starting to get real uncomfortable. Instead of saying that, you just, you just rummage through your drawer of concepts and go, here's the right concept to not deal with the fact that I suddenly am filled with murderous rage coming from my kidney and I have no idea fucking why. Um, here's a concept about Jesus to save me from what's really happening, which is, I don't know what's happening, but something. I'm interpreting something. And so I tried to I tried to break it down a little, like, because I'm taking some courses run by very smart white people, and they really want to heal people from the cults, and it is really wonderful. I love them to death, but it's also like patting someone on the head and and being like, oh, yeah, you're so privileged and uh, very rich, much more rich than me, but also not not as actually there yet. Um, and uh, I started to think about it and like, how do I explain it to people so that people could actually um, learn it? Because we like to learn. Learning is good. doesn't mean that you're going to do anything with it, but the learning itself is interesting, um, which is first there is a sensory stimulus that you receive right so there's a sensory stimulus that your system receives and whether you can receive that sensory stimulus honestly and consciously that's the first step right and usually white the white mindset receives that stimulus very very quickly and from a great distance and immediately jumps to step number two which is not what I'm saying, but I'm just trying to track it. And it goes into um, interpreting meaning. What does this mean? Because if I know what this means, I can control my life. <laughs> I can not be harmed or some nonsense that makes no sense because we don't even know what harm actually is actually. We don't know. We don't know what safety is. We don't know what harm is. We don't know what healing is. We just have rough, feeling senses of things that we either like or don't like based on countless ancestral patterns that we also don't fucking understand. And we're just kind of bumbling through our lives being like, I like this and I don't like that, but not really going like, why? Like, why? Like, what's happening? So you jump to interpretive meaning. And this is where most of Western mindset is living. It's interpretive meaning, interpretive meaning. And from that interpretive meaning, we get this last of the trifecta, which is behaviors. So why do people act the way they do? It's because they received a simulation, they interpreted a meaning, and they behaved in accordance with that chain of relational events. 
So my working theory is that whiteness as a mindset is actually a degenerative threat response. So it has nothing to do with Christ, although Christ is part of the mythology of this degenerated threat response. So whiteness is constantly interpreting threat from everything all the time in a way that is beyond its own scope of uh, holding because whiteness has no belly. So whiteness can't hold anything. And when you can't hold anything, everything is threatening. So you create concepts to protect yourself and even create concepts to pretend like you have a center that can hold things. So you have white center or like white. So, yeah, like it doesn't mean it's like for not to, like I can't even say it with a straight face. It's like ridiculous, right? Like what the fuck is the white center? Like what the hell is that? <laughs> something like the heart or something like love, right? Would be like the white center is like compassion for everyone. And it, it sort of, it, it only works in theory. It doesn't work on the actual ground level of reality. It just doesn't, uh, at least the white version doesn't. But the indigenous or the sort of non-Western version of it might actually, because it's not, um, it's not creating a concept to protect itself from its own capacity for violence. So if, so if, if you know that you are inherently violent, but you don't interpret a deep meaning about that, like it's not about you going to hell. So you're not like, Oh, what does this mean that I'm, inherently violent you're not like that you're not creating a concept about it you're just like oh i noticed that there are times where like i have been a very violent person and that must mean that it's natural it doesn't mean that i want it to happen but it's like it's, it's a natural thing so if you know that you have a capacity for violence then when you walk around in the world you're not trying to pretend that other beings shouldn't have a capacity for violence based on your concept of your own sinfulness. You're like, oh no, that motherfucker could kill me. And so could she, and so could they. And that bird too could just shit on my head right now. There's no morality. There's just, if that bird decides to shit on my head, it's gonna do it, right? And the white mindset would say, no, we have to make sure that the birds are genetically modified so that they never shit on anybody's head. Right? And we have to like keep creating conceptual rubrics and conceptual ideas <laughs> to keep saying, Ah, uh, it shouldn't happen. This cat has claws. Declaw it, right? On some level, it makes a bit of sense. You don't want the cat fucking your shit up. But on another level, it's part of the concept of like, why can't you deal with it? Why can't you just deal with the fact that like, nature isn't moral and um, has violent tendencies, but that doesn't mean anything about anything really 
It doesn't mean that you're going to heaven or hell. It doesn't mean that uh, you're a victim. It doesn't mean that you're a warrior. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means it might be useful sometimes to have some claws and some teeth because other beings are here. It's a relational matrix. Something that has no protection is not going to survive very long in the wild. And that doesn't mean that the wild is mean or brutal. It just is the way it is. It's inherent in the, in the setup. So you get to, you, you know, you keep drilling down, you're going to get to somewhere eventually, which is whiteness as a deregular, whiteness as a degenerate threat response. That is in and of itself a complete conceptual, uh, a conceptual protection against death as a process, right? So death phobia, people have heard about this. It's not new. Aversion to all this stuff, right? And then, of course, we start talking about death and people are like, but I don't want to be murdered. And it's like, yes, I know you don't want to be murdered. I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about the process of uh, cellular organisms dying, which is what happens when they go back to formlessness, which is happening right now as I speak. Parts of my system are dying and being eaten by other parts. I'm actually dying, although at a slower rate than some of these other uh, cellular organisms that make up my system. The, the, the beings around me are also degenerating in some fashion and dying, going back to formlessness. And also at the exact same time, there is a kind of rebirthing happening of like new cells or new life uh, coming out of formlessness into form. So I'm not saying focus on one over the other. I'm saying be able to cultivate an awareness that can actually perceive this happening in the moment simultaneously in any given moment. That it's not, it's not about, oh, 35 things died and only 27 things were born, so now I'm fucked. Or the other way, 75 things were born and only 12 things died, and so now we're good. It's still garbage. There's no, no meaning. Just the actual arising of these happenings. And to go, I can feel life giving birth to itself, and I can also feel life devouring itself. And there's no inherent meaning, but I can sense it. And in the sensation, if I put my intention on the sensations, something starts to happen to my biology. And I have yet to see very smart white people do this in public on a platform that is useful. Some of them do, I'm sure they do. I don't know all the white people in the world, obviously. And clearly there's a lot of animus white people who were never colonized, right? Like the Sami people, or I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know, they're just, you know, they have pale skin, but they're like, they're living it. They're living in this like soup of like coming and going. But I'm talking about mostly as a person encased in this Western mindset that is creating infinite concepts to protect itself from life, which is death. I have yet to see very many white people 
when they encounter a stimulus that they don't like, to be able to do this process in real time, instead of just searching through the drawer of concepts to throw a concept around themselves to protect themselves. That's that. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my speech for today. So we're going to take a little break, take a little break, take a little stretch break, and we're going to come back and answer a bunch of questions. Because we got some questions in the mailbag. And we've got, you know, well, probably like 45 minutes to do that. I'm going to get some water. It's going to be blank space for a while. Entertain yourselves. I'm going to do a little book share before I get into the questions because I have piles and piles of books I'm like a cuckoo person. But I just want to give some shout outs to some uh, books that are really given me some life lately. Um, this one is called Observing. It is Wu Wei, The Heart of the Tao Te Ching. It's a translation by my uh, dead teacher, Liu Ming. You can get it at Daiyuan Circle. Um, yeah, go on my acknowledgments page. You can find their website. But it's a box set. It has their commentary translation on the Tao Te Ching and also the Zhou Yi, which is the Yi Jing, which is the, some people think the I Ching, the divination set. Um, and I highly recommend it because they're coming from as much as a pre-imperial Taoist lineage as possible, which is to say before Taoism became a religion, it was essentially kind of like a folk shamanism. And in this period of time where it started to become accepted, codified, priestized, there was a great period of time where there was, um, yeah, there was a great transmission happening through multiple bodies. And um, it's the best, uh, it's the best translation that I've ever come across because it has less, the least amount of concepts and the most sensing, right? So you're going to have to figure it out for yourself, though, because I'm not like promoting it. I'm just saying like this helps me and this is one of my um, nourishments in my life. And uh, some people are not going to find that's the case. 
Uh, other things that are cool that I've found. Um, so this is a book called uh, Descent to the Goddess, A Way of Initiation for Women by Sylvia Brinton Pereira. Obviously, you know, it's just, just from the way it's written, it's gonna be a bit turfy and gender exclusive, but it doesn't matter, do it anyway. It's a, it's a kind of ritualized um, process of Inanna going into the underworld to see Ereshkigal, which is a death process, which is the underworld process, Chthonic process. And I highly recommend it as a kind of, if people don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, if people don't know how I got to where I got to where I got to, and how I can come out the other side and be like, yeah, this is what's going on. There are people beyond me, before me, who are still remembering this stuff. And this is a great book that helps remember something very old. And uh, this is about like a 10,000 year old story, which might not be a story. It might be a ritual initiation and it might be things that actually happened. It might be all of the above. Um, but this book, I think was, this book is written in 1981 and uh, it's called Descent, Descent to the Goddess, A Way of Initiation for Women by Sylvia Brinton Pereira. So that's a good book. Um, but like anything, if you, if you read these books and just create new concepts, it's not really the point. You just have to experience things. Um, the other one that I'm, I'm, I just got, it's called Play Your Way Sane. 120 improv-inspired exercises to help you calm down, stop spiraling, and embrace uncertainty by Clay Drinko, PhD. Because that PhD part makes it real. Remember, without the PhD part, None of this shit's true. Um, but no, it's an improv book by someone who basically studied the neuroscience of improv. So it's like, oh, if you get that privilege and you can go from theater to academia and then just become a psychologist and write about games people play, that's a route you can go. But it does produce fruit sometimes, which is a bunch of games that you can just bibliomancy your fucking way out of. Oh, what am I doing? Oh, let's play this game. Oh, let's play this game. I think I'm gonna be incorporating this a lot more in the future um, with what I'm working, how I'm working. I haven't really read it yet, but I've flipped through it. It's very decent. It's a book that I wish would have come out like 10 years ago, to be honest. Um, here's another book, Karma Mudra, The Yoga of Bliss, Sexuality in Tibetan Medicine and Buddhism by Dr. Nita Chengnatsang. I'm not gonna go down the Dr. Nita rabbit hole, but this is the real deal. This is someone who is actually Tibetan, completely lineage sponsored and lineage uh, gifted and is written like 10 books or more to demystify and popularize actual Tibetan Tantra for, for working people, not people who go to a monastery, but actual working people, specifically medical practitioners, but not just medical practitioners. So people who are working in the real world, doing real things, they call them householders. So it's like householder Tantra. Started reading this last night, love it. I'm gonna read an excerpt, very small, cause I liked it. So this is a preface written by someone who helped translate or edit the book 
who is a gay white male. And they're talking about another person who studied uh, Indian Tantra. So it's, you know, the whole bibliography thing, right? But I liked this, uh, I liked this a lot and you'll see why. This is by someone named Dalton. So Dalton explains that while Buddhist sexual yoga practices involving the manipulation of the subtle body may have existed for a long time as part of oral transmissions, at least as far as can be seen through textual evidence only. Um, then there's like some quotes, I'm not gonna read, I'm just giving you the outline. And then Dalton outlines how the development of tantric Buddhism in general and sexual yoga practices in particular depended on a sort of interiorization of Buddhist ritual that had significant implications. Okay, here's the money, right? Quote, the tantric interiorization of Buddhist ritual was not a rejection of ritual, nor was it a psychologization, psychologization, blah, blah, blah. This shift took place in the physical realm. Its beginnings can be traced to the first half of the eighth century and the ritual technologies it spawned continued to develop through the ninth century. By the end of these two crucial centuries, a new ritual discourse of the bodily interior was in place. The tantric subject, which is the person, the tantric subject, had become the site for the entire ritual performance. The body's interior provided the devotee, the altar, the oblations, and the Buddha to be worshiped. 2004. Right. So if anyone wonders why I call my website Body Altar or my business Body Altar, it's because of that kind of thinking that has been gifted to us through the centuries by practitioners, not necessarily scholars or academics, but practitioners who are like, no, it's all in here. Everything's in here. Everything you want, everything you don't want, all the gods, all the demons, it's all in there. So the interiorization is not psychological. Get it? It's not a concept. It's something that's happening or that is, hap is happening and has happened that people could track and then go, I think this is what's happening. It's not, a, but not, not so much of a concept. It's very important, very important. Okay, we're gonna get some questions now. Um, I want to bias questions from people who are here live. I have about five or six questions in the queue that I can riff on, but I wanna sort of give space for people here. So if you want to um, unmute and sort of ask, or if you wanna put it in the chat, those are both ways that we can go about this. But I'm going to uh, start with one of the questions um, just to kind of get rolling. So if people want to rev up their question engines, they can uh, 
do that now. So here's a question from an anonymous person. Hello, anonymous. Which is how to be in a primary romantic relationship when you've had significant developmental trauma. Okay. I truly doubt you will hear this from anyone else. And if you don't like it, there are plenty of white people who will tell you something different. So here's real. Um, my belief, my experience is that your primary relationship should not be to another human being, but that you can have a primary human relationship. But let's not confuse it for your primary relationship. So my love life was a complete and total shit show until I discovered this by uh, being blessed by the gift of being in that place where nothing worked anymore. So if your primary relationship is actually a non-human relationship that nourishes your soul and that you will not discard for anything or anyone ever, then you can walk into another relationship with a human and say that out loud. And if that other human gets it, you'll know. And if they don't get it, you'll also know. And you didn't fuck your shit up trying to figure it out. Because to be able to walk into a space, hold your ground, be rooted down in your low body and say something like, my primary relationship is to this force in the universe or this devotional practice or this whatever. And you say that in a, a live way, something changes in the air because you were just honest in a way that most people can't be honest. And I'm not saying you're doing this to protect yourself. You're doing this to be to doing this to just be honest, which is, I guess, something that like, um, you know, like relationship anarchy talks about and like polyamorous, you know, consent based mindfulness practices, which is like, when you get involved with me, you're getting involved with my polycule or something like that, right? So you're just being honest about the relationships that are actually already present before you start something new. That's all it is. But when you live in the slipstream of a being or a constellation of beings that are as larger than you, things become possible that you didn't think were possible before. And the only way you can prove this is to be honest and courageous enough to practice in real life. Because this is the martial arts. This is real martial arts. This is real hard shit because most people, when they have attachment wounds and they have developmental trauma, they will sacrifice all of their own conduct, all of their own consent for just the chance to have a pet, like to be petted, to be loved, to be kissed, to be whatevered. And I speak from experience. I'm not. I'm not 
you know, disparaging anybody. You do what you do. I don't care. But if you want something that seems to be more stable and also allows for ecstasy and bliss and consent and requests and negotiation and all that good stuff, that's a real relationship. You can't hinge your primary relationality on that person because people are fickle and have bad days and have disabilities and get possessed. It's just fucking normal. So if you're hinging your primariness, your primary relationality for co-regulation on a being that is just as messed up as you, well, you're gonna get what you get, which is an inconsistent feeling of love, an inconsistent feeling of stability. So don't do it. But again, there's plenty of fucking attachment people quoting Bowlby and all this other shit that will tell you a different story. They'll tell you a very different story about it. And uh, you could try their version too, but I'm not going to talk about it for them. All right. Let me read some of these questions that are coming in. Oh yeah, here's a good one. I'm just going to, I'm not going to say the name. I'll say the question. My son played a game today where he was pretending to die and was asking me to bury him over and over. He is 10. I was a bit frozen at first, but then we kind of had fun. I'm noticing how frozen I am anytime I'm invited in any games with my kids. I feel frozen. How do people whose play was interrupted in childhood learn to play again? Oh, such a good question. Um, well, you have to respect your own thresholds. You shouldn't force yourself to do things that are harder or faster than you can actually do them. So you kind of have to on-ramp and off-ramp. You have to develop this kind of like easing into, relaxing into doing and relaxing into non-doing or relaxing into play, relaxing into non-play, something you could think of it like that. And you sort of have to use your senses to be honest about how you're feeling. And then out of all the various feelings and sensations that are happening in a system at any given time, you have to learn to be able to listen to those uh, sensations and stimuli that are more conducive to uh, figuring it out as you go along. But you only will know that after a long amount of aggregate data has occurred, which is, oh, I listened to this impulse, it didn't work. Or I listened to this impulse and it kind of worked, but it was like this. And eventually over time, you start to notice where the improv muscle is. Let's just call it that. You start to learn where like, oh, I could just slide into play like this. Like, oh, it's just kind of easy. I could just kind of go this way. But you have to have a lot of repetitions in your system so that you can deal with all of the fear, anger, sadness, etc., that will naturally come up as a redevelopmental process. Because if you give yourself the opportunity that you didn't get, like say when you were like four or five or six or something, you're essentially going to regress to that point in order to progress to a different point. 
So you have to be able to hold yourself like a big space, hold yourself while some part of you regresses into fear and another part of you goes, yeah, but we're not there anymore. Let's, like, let's try something new, right? So it's like functional DID, right? It's like functional multiple personalities. It's not a disorder. It's just how it is. But to be able to actually cultivate that skill takes a lot of um, play. You have to practice. You have to be like, okay, little one, uh, what, what kind of costume do you want to wear today? And you're asking that of this part of you that was um, arrested in arrest, that's in arrested development. And you have to be like, do you need some dogs to play with? What do you want to do? Do you want to be an outside? Do you want to be inside? You have to create the contextual environment for that part of you to actually be able to unfreeze. So maybe neon lights or maybe different kind of music or maybe, hey, little one, uh, what kind of animal do you need to be? What kind of animal are you actually that was stifled? And then the, then the, the form starts to shift inside and you interact with it as it's shifting, right? So it's like make-believe, but this shit is not make-believe. This is spirit work that we have called make-believe. But it's actually energy manipulation and energy alchemy that's happening in an interface that makes you able to go, oh, yeah, I'm just making it up. So it's easy to do. So it's dissociation as a protective mechanism. So you use dissociation to help you until some tipping point happens where you completely integrate and then you just change shape whenever you want. And there's no need for the long drawn out process. Right. So these are some tips. I could do a whole freaking series on this shit, but um, the point is quick and dirty. I know you can figure it out and you have to kind of be able to give language and describe what's happening so that you can either recreate it or change it. Oh, you don't like red clothes? Do you like orange clothes? Right. You want the tree to be orange? You know, like to be able to just go in this dream that's kind of arising I want a unicorn and then a unicorn appears. But then at a certain point you go, I don't know what I need. And then something appears and you're like, oh shit, this is super real, right? You're essentially using your natural abilities as a, a divination. Your body is a divination oracle that you can dream while you're awake. And as you're dreaming while you're awake, you're playing with other people. And then that's how people go and do improv and whatever is they're dreaming while they're awake and they're not dissociating from what's happening, but they're actually just having two simultaneously intersecting realities at the same time. That's how that works. Okay. Time for another question. Okay, 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 okay. Let's go to this one. Okay. Does it matter in this time if we are hospicing or midwifing cultures, human species, etc., with regard to the actions we take? My sense is both are happening. Yeah, both are happening. So um, are we birthing? Are we deathing? Yeah, the answer is yes. 
how you are able to skillfully play with both at the exact same time is the entirety of the practice. In some regard, I can just sum it up as in every moment, there is death and there is birth. And there is something beyond death and birth that could actually play with death and birth. So you can focus on one over the other, but that's also a concept based on what you think is real and what you think is more important, right? It's like, oh no, we're doing this. It's like, yeah, are we? I don't know. Um, and this, this is a two-parter. So I'm gonna ask the other, the other one is, what advice would you give to folks who are transitioning from savior paradigm to being right with all relations reality? I mean, I think I talked about it. I think that's what I'm kind of saying is that savior is a concept. You could argue that being right with all relations is also a concept because then we go, well, what's right relations? And we get down a concept rabbit hole, but you know it when you feel it. <laughs> you know it when you're in right relations because your system is no longer um, fighting reality in a way that you feel exhausted or manic. Because some people, when they feel exhausted, they get a surge of adrenaline and they're like, I'm not exhausted. So if you're still in that phase where you haven't yet scraped so the bottom of the barrel, so that you don't have something called chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue, you're actually like, no. <laughs> then um, I suggest you get with this before that happens because it will happen. It will. Like your mania as a defensive reaction to feeling unprotected will cause you to crash. And that crash might be far worse than if you just took the key out of the ignition now and just walk out of the fucking car. Don't keep driving. Don't drink more coffee to keep driving. Don't create more concepts to keep driving. Don't try to fight saviorism. Just be like, stop generating it. Stop creating it. Literally take the key out of the ignition, stop driving it, stop giving it a reason to justify its own existence because you're creating it as you live your life. So you have to be able to, as you know, it's tough. I'm not going to say I'm a master at it, but this is how I want to die because I'm just, you know, this is just my choice. This is what I'm choosing, which is to go anytime someone tells me anything, Anytime I get involved in any project, and I'm in a great free fall right now, I'm not doing any private sessions. That means I'm not making any money. Um, and I'm noticing that I have to truly practice this on a physiological level, which is the need to do things in order to pay the rent or the need to create new things in order to think that that's how I'm going to survive. So, Part of me doing this podcast is to say, look, at least do something that can sort of like just dance itself. 
And I can go, oh, I like to work. So my podcast is work. So there's a work there, right? So I'm, I'm still doing something. But then all the other moments in my life where I start to get a little panicky around checklists, what do I need to do next to survive? What do I need to do next to relax? I could actually notice that quicker and go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. No, don't do that. Just stop doing that. And have a different set of, a different checklist, which is, oh, just go lay down, just take a walk outside, do some pranayama or do some breath work, sing, let's do a little singing, you know, just kind of like, who, you know, whatever, what does the body want? You know, just wants to move around. Okay. So that I can just get very, very used to, look at me, I'm creating concepts that are wasting my energy. How do I actually want to respond? Oh, I don't want to create concepts to waste my energy. So there's like a whole new, that's the arena, that's the arena outside the arena that I was talking about, which is like, if you actually step outside of the paradigm, including all the fear and the longing and the desire, all the things that were still like, oh yeah, it's actually about your pleasure and your desire. If you actually go outside of that too and go, oh, what if it's not about my pleasure? You know, like, what if it's not? And notice the tendency when I say things like that for people to kind of slip into nihilism or despair. So if I say these things and you start to think, oh, then nothing matters, then you got some ghosts you need to deal with. Because nothing I'm saying is about nihilism. It's actually really fresh. It's like really liberated. I want you to be liberated from your own preferences. I want me to be liberated from my own preferences. To actually experience life as it actually is without my preferences distorting distorting my perception of actual life, right? What do I got to say about that? Okay, so technically it's time, but I started late, so I'm going to go a little bit over. If you need to leave, of course, you can leave at any time. I'm going to still keep doing this for a little while because I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good poem. <laughs> okay, would you say a bit about ways to stay in practice when interacting with family of origin and all the old patterns and shit comes roaring up and out and it's hard to remember yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got to take it step by step. And you need some kind of uh, lodestone or some kind of like touchstone where you can keep reminding yourself of who you actually are. And just so you know, context and environment is everything. So you need to be able to change the environment, even if that means leaving the environment to another environment. Until you're able to create an internal environment that will not be degraded by the external environments other people are creating because they're doing a projection too. You're actually essentially entering a projection field that is amplified by the amount of people um, in, uh, saying yes to it. This is why it's really hard to deal with mobs, right? They're actually creating a force larger than themselves. And that's why it's so powerful. But it also degrades your, it also degrades autonomy. It also degrades creativity and innovation. 
right? Because you get locked into this way of being and it's just a, it's a, it's a projection mess. It's what cults do. Cults and religion, everyone does this. So you have to figure out how to become your own religion, essentially, so that you can go, oh, I remember who I am. I remember who I am. And when someone tries to project onto you and it's all, it's all based on threat, right? It's, you feel the threat coming at you like a wave of energy, right? You have to be able to hold that and go, oh yeah, are you requesting something of me? You have to be able to with, you know, with love and compassion and maybe a lot of diplomacy, maybe a lot of savvy because of course we are all in different bodies and we have different amounts of actual protection from violence. You have to be able to just go, uh, are you asking me to do something? And if they are actually asking you to do something and you don't want to do it, how do you say no? How are you actually able to go, it doesn't work for me right now? I didn't say this shit would be easy. And I didn't say that everyone would get along at the end. I'm going to tell you right now, most of us are going to die with a lot of enemies. A lot of ghost enemies, living and dead. And there's not going to be a whole lot of resolutions. There's not going to be a whole lot of kumbaya mediations. We're going to die full of enemies and full of people who vehemently disagree and full of people whose disagreement concepts are going to possess them to the point of violence. And a lot of our ancestors also dealt with that. So it's not new. What I'm talking about is not new. So I'm not like, oh, the end is near. The end is fucking here. It's been here for a long ass time. Go ask some indigenous people if the end is coming or if it already came. They'll tell you the real, real. So if you're worried about being exiled from your family, you got to deal with that. You got to really deal with like, can your living family actually exile you from your family? And if you think they can, there's a lot of ancestral work you've got to deal with. Because the moment you start going back and going, yeah, so ancient grandmas and ancient grandpas who you got to deal with these fuckers because I'm not going to let my co-regulation or my sense of belonging or my sense of love be affected by possessed people anymore. And I don't care if they're my blood ancestors. And you start, you start calling the big dogs. And I'm talking like martial arts, like this is not kid stuff. This is not love and light. This is not any of that shit that people tell you about in white new age fucking Akashic records, blah, blah, blah. This is none, none of that shit. This is how it actually could actually function, which is you have a family that's far greater than the living members. And if you aren't connected with that family that's far greater than the living members and actually select them and go, oh, I like you, but you're just, a f no, no, no. I want those grannies and these aunties and these uncles and these queer elders, that's my family. And that's who you belong to. Then when your family starts going off the rails, you're, you just connect to those beings in the moment. And you don't even have to talk about it to anybody. You don't have to tell people what you're doing, but I can guarantee you if you do this enough on your own time, it changes shit. Weird shit happens. Very, very strange things happen.
I have stories, but I'm not going to tell those stories right now. But basically, things happen in the dream time. All sorts of shit happens once you start to go, oh, yeah, this is bullshit. There's totally another way to do this. And it doesn't mean you have to exile your family either. It just means you have to have a better relational etiquette with all the beings that are actually your family, not just the ones that are alive trying to pretend that they're the only ones that matter. This is not true. They're just lonely and broken, so they're trying to create an empire in the family because they're like, oh, we have no elders, so now we're going to act like assholes because we have no elders. Yeah, so... It's very possible to be like, oh, yeah, you're trying to force me to do something. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that shit. And you just keep standing your ground. But the ground is so rich with life that people can't fuck with you. Like they can yell at you and swear at you and call you names and like all sorts of shit. But if you're actually connected, it doesn't actually enter your system. It doesn't actually twist your guts up, make you unhealthy. But it is a process to get from where I used to be or where you might be now and the place I'm talking about now, it takes a fucking while. But you can get there is what I'm saying. And then once you get there, very, very strange things start to happen. And you're like, oh, right. Dare, t- Dare said that. Oh, I guess I'm on the right track. We could probably do a whole podcast about families. Um, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. How do you deal with blood relations? So here we go. Any more questions? Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, let's do this. There's another family question. Any recommendations for reckoning with a parent that you feel the threat that they actually would kill you in the presence of your full self? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So if you actually think that might happen, so you get a, maybe you have a prediction about a curse. Because maybe, maybe your parents are actually tied to some entities or some ancestors or some ghosts that are like, not cool, bro. Then you need to do some rehearsal. Just like any good theater, you have to rehearse. So you have to find a way to talk to all those beings that are related or at least in a network so that you could rehearse what do I actually think is going to happen? And you could actually track the dream that you're having, which is a fear about something. You could actually track it coming towards you in the rehearsal. So you could say, oh, I notice it feels like a sharp pain in my left. Oh, I feel like they're going to choke me to death or I feel like they're going to drown me. You start to get an inkling of how the murder might actually happen in the dream, the dream murder. And once you have enough actual details, you could actually go hunting for more clues like, did this actually happen in my ancestral uh, lineage? The answer is probably yes. So what you're doing is you're saying, oh, so this happened and it's threatening to happen again. Before it happens again, I'm actually going to intervene. One, by being able to not dissociate And the other is by, um, you know, I say this to a lot of people. I don't know how many people understand what I'm saying, but it's like you uh, always go to the mother of the monster. 
So in the world we live in, the world of form and ghosts and all that stuff, it seems like it's a linear thing. And so we can use that. Everything that exists was born, at least in this mindset that we live in. So you can trace a lineage of like, so where did that, who's the mother of that demon or who's the mother of that ghost or who's the mother of that ancestor? And you eventually find something that's not really human and is greater than the threat that you feel from the downstream being. And you just basically, you just go, you just keep circumventing and going, I am going to talk to your mom. And it sounds a little strange because you're like tattling. It's absolutely like that. You're like, oh, you're bullying me. I'm going to talk to your mom. And if talking to their mom doesn't work, you talk to their mom. And you talk to the mom of the mom and the mom of the mom and the mom of the mom and the mom of the mom. Eventually you get to something that is really something else. And you make a deal with that. Not a deal of like sacrifice or martyrdom or anything like that. But you start to say, what do I need to do to be in right relation with you and all your kids and for you to actually help me deal with that shit? And you have to actually be able to, to make deals with other beings that would actually change your actual life and wouldn't just be make-believe, but it would be like, oh, you need me to make these offerings and also I need to do this every morning? Oh, huh, oh, shit. Well, what do you know? What do you know? And you have to actually be like, can I actually uphold my end of that deal? Or do I have to make another deal? Because you can always say no to the deal, but it's a double-edged thing because are you saying no because you're dealing with your fear and your avoidance of death and your concepts? Or are you saying no because genuinely you're not consenting to it? Because you can always find another being to make a deal with that actually works for you. But there are some moments where you actually go, why doesn't this work for me? What is actually preventing me from making this deal? What kind of a person would I have to be in order to make this deal? This is all pre-deal. This is like the things that you have to think about to deal with the threats that are coming at you in the so-called real world is to go into the dream that's dreaming those things. And essentially you're going into your own dreaming because as a part of that drama triangle, you are actually helping to create it. Even if it's totally unconscious and hereditary and you're not doing it on purpose. This isn't like victim blaming. This is just, oh, I didn't realize there was this whole mechanism in my system that's doing this, that's sending out this beacon. I think I need to dismantle this machine. How do I do that? Right? So this is a form of exorcism, essentially. And I'm just trying to demystify it because even demystifying it, it's still freaking hard and you still have to do it. So the mystification doesn't really help. So like, who gives a shit? It's like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can answer one more question. It can't be a super long one, but um, here we are. And this is cool too, because then there's questions left over for next time. 
which is always cool. Um, I want to, uh, before I do the question though, I want to see if there's anything that I want to say about future episodes and just in general, and there are. So I'm going to uh, start the interviewing process soon, which is not the same as live. So there will be live podcasts where I do this kind of thing. And then there will be recorded podcasts where I interview people or maybe even uh, panels of people. It can evolve. And sometimes maybe even live panels with li or live interviews, but that's later. So I'm going to be sending that out. I'm going to maybe have another form where you can nominate people that I could contact for interviews. It's like, you know, it's very chill. But really what I'm looking to do is interview people that A, are not famous, like me, just regular ass practitioners. Um, people who want to have really interesting chats and maybe play games and maybe like do something that's not the typical interview. And also people that um, I can actually track the, you know, it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. It's like, who do I know that knows these people? Like actually have some kind of web of relationality that's not uh, internet marketing based, is not celebritization of wellness based, but actually like, I either know you already personally, or or you know someone, or they know someone I know already, and there's already a thread of continuity, so that if things get a little, who knows what, because you know we're dealing with ghosts and whatever, that there could be a real relational context. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Real relational context that isn't about. Uh, social justice accountability, which is kind of this concept. Fuck concepts. I'm not interested in concepts. I'm interested in relationships, which are not conceptual. Um, so that being said, uh, something I'm really interested in, in discussing are, uh, or talking with people who are both animist and do some kind of vocalizing as a main practice. So that could be singers. Um, usually it's probably gonna be singers and musicians but also people who are like voice rehabilitation specialists or anything that involves the production of uh, human sound using the voice um, and that they are animist uh, and bonus points if they're uh, black or indigenous people, because I really wanna talk to more people who aren't completely in the Western mindset about these things. So that's just, um, I'm seeding that for for the future. Um, okay, I'm not gonna get to all these questions, but they're gonna happen. Any of them are really juicy. Well, that's too long. Some of y'all give really long questions and it's like, uh, yeah, that's a whole thing. So maybe we'll deal with that some other time. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, okay, last question. Okay, great. This is good. Um, 
Thoughts or suggestions for interacting with elders who are really still children? I think I just talked about this. So maybe it's just a dovetail. Elders who are overrun by fear. I find myself vacillating between uh, being frustrated or internally pissed off or like I have to block or dim my energy when in shared space. Then I got sucked into their own shit, which isn't mine. Is there a better angle I haven't considered or just thoughts on elders who aren't really elders? Things. <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to like, like the concept of elders um, the concept of elders kind of implies something. So if you're going to use that term, you need to be very clear about the concepts that you're invoking. And if the people that you're using that term for aren't behaving that way, maybe it's the wrong term. Maybe they're just old people. And, you know, bless the old people. You know, I want, I want a world in where the old people don't have to be perfect elders in order to be cherished. That's not what I'm saying. That's crazy pants. Um, because not every old person is going to be the kind of elder that we would consider to be an elder in this kind of sacred, able to hold space, blah, 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 blah. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Not everyone's going to be that. Not everyone's fate is to be that. So on one level, you got to deal with your own expectations about what old people are supposed to act like. Because we don't fucking know what old people are supposed to act like. We just want them to act a certain way. <laughs> we just want it. We want it. So we're longing for it. And when it doesn't happen, we get really dysregulated. So again, this goes back to something about the primary relationship. So we can talk about primary relationships as intimate sexual relationships or we can talk about them as any other kind of relationship that gives you nourishment or makes you feel grounded or safe or secure, or any of that stuff. You got to find the bigger fish. You got to find the bigger ocean, the bigger mother, the bigger being that you actually can rest inside of so that when humans do what humans do, you are less frazzled by the threats that they conjure because everyone's a magician, even if they're not good at it, they're conjuring things and projecting all the time. That's what, all a spell is just projection, right? It's not whatever, you know, it's just whatever. But it's really hard when they're your parents. It's really hard when there's a direct blood lineage and some part of you is like in freeze response to gain their love and attention. And I would just say that like personally, I think it's a trap. I just think that this kind of love that we have sort of been brainwashed into believing is really not actual anything. It's, it's a kind of ghostly interpretation of what family is supposed to be. And there's a lot of grief inside of that. And believe me, I sort of emancipated myself from my family a long, long time ago. And I know that my mother listens to this, so it's real that um, the thing we say about boundaries, they have to be real. Like not everyone gets to have everything just because of some blood relationship to you. There's no written natural law that says that because if people try to pull this ancestral thing on you there's this ancestral trick that parents like to pull 
which is, I gave birth to you. <laughs> yeah, sure you did. Sure you did. <laughs> yeah, remember, I'm talking about this view in which we don't really know. We think we know. There is a lineage, but it's a multi-causal, multi-cofactor, spirits all over the place, humans and non-human spirits kind of coalescing to create form. And then there's this, like, I get to control that idea, the, the concept that because someone gave birth to you, they kind of get to control you. That's what we're talking about here. And that's a concept that actually produces ghosts because we don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> we don't know. Um, and uh, some people would like to enforce that, but it's not actually real. It's just another concept that creates um, struggle and exhaustion. So I'm not saying that you can dismantle this for people in your life. You can't. You can't even explain it to them because they can't hear it from you because the concept is controlling the situation. But what I'm saying is you can disentangle this for yourself like a kind of psychic detective. You could actually go, so where am I buying into the lie? Like, where am I? And it keeps going back to like, where, where am I leaving the door open? Where are the mosquitoes coming in the screen? Oh, I think I need to fix that screen because the mosquitoes are coming in and you just have to become much more radically responsible to where you're giving your power away based on threat and based on the fear that you won't have the kind of love and nourishment that you actually want. You know, because there's no guarantee you will. There's no guarantee any of us will get the kind of love and nourishment we want. There's no fucking guarantee. So if you think you deserve it or any of this stuff, it doesn't fucking matter. That's just a concept. But no one is preventing you from getting the love and nourishment you need from the many other kinds of actual beings that exist in the universe. So if, if you're playing the scarcity game inside and you don't even realize it, you have to get to the heart of that. You have to get to the core of like, what's the problem here? Like, you know, I did this for myself. Like I went down the rabbit hole of like, yeah, let's say that my mother and father curse me on their deathbed. You got to go to the end, the end game, right? What's the real fear here? That somehow they have power over me. because we share DNA. Well, you share DNA with trees too. You don't think that about the trees. Why isn't it? You share DNA with bacteria and viruses. You don't think about that though. You just think about the humans having power over you because their DNA. The human DNA that we share is very small and we all share it. I've got DNA shared with all of you listening and you have it with me. I don't go around thinking though that you have control or power over me. Most people don't. But something about the family lineage is like, oh yeah, they have power over me in my DNA. You have ton you have so much DNA. You have DNA of like sea slugs and bird, you know, like it's just dinosaur DNA and whatever the fuck you you go online, research some stuff. You have DNA in there that's powerful and causing your heart to beat, 
causing your uh, guts to digest food that isn't human. You probably have more DNA with mushrooms, you know, like why don't you think of your mushrooms as your elders and your parents? You know, like I'm, I'm talking from a very real practical place. It's like, how do I, how did I get out of depression and anxiety and being cursed and diseased all the time in an acute fashion where I kept, my life just kept falling apart. It's because I had to realize that my concept of myself was so fucking limited that it was just breaking my system because my immune, your immune system sort of uh, functions based on a lot of that, those concepts that you're using to make decisions. So if you start to actually go, no, I don't want to make decisions like that anymore. I want to talk to uh, grandmother mushroom or grandfather mountain. You have a whole new ball game to play, right? It's not, and you're not throwing out your parents. You're just saying, if my parents actually cursed me on their deathbed, would I actually be able to transmute it? Would I actually be able to go, I hear your pain and I will not absorb that for you. And now let me introduce you to some folks that might help you on the other side. To be that kind of person who could go, yeah, you know what I, let's end it like this too. Let's end the podcast like this. There's a lot of movies like this. There's a lot of shows like this. There's a scene that keeps getting played in the white mindset. And it's not the scene of being murdered by colonizers. That's different because white people don't want to admit that they've done that. So their version of it is different. And the version that I'm talking about aesthetically is a bomb goes off somewhere and it's such a bomb. Maybe it's a meteor that crashes into the earth. Maybe it's a meteor that someone shot at the earth. Maybe it's uh, a nuclear bomb. Maybe someone woke up with mutant powers and exploded. Sarah Connor, Terminator 2, right? X-Men, all of it, right? Thanos, all of this shit, right? Something happens. And in the moment of the happening, there is a stillness because there's no going back. The bomb goes off. And in these scenes, that all of these people film, it's, it's like a it's like fucking archetype now. It's that it takes time before the shockwave hits the character or the city or whatever. So the bomb's gone off and it starts to radiate out this like wave of destruction and it takes time, but you can't stop it. So what I'm saying is that if you live your life as if the bomb has already detonated and you're just waiting for the shockwave to hit you and you don't know when that will be, you actually get to make entirely different kinds of decisions because the shockwave's coming. You can't rewind this. There's no Dr. Strange here to rewind the clock for you. And when the shockwave comes, it's just incineration. When the tidal wave comes, done. There's no negotiating with it. 
There's no like, hey, could you give me just another second? No, there's none of that. There's just, it's just that volcano goes out and just goes off, right? So what if we acted like the shockwave is coming and instead of running around to try to find a bunker to survive it, we actually just opened up to the air around us, the actual body that we were blessed to be with for a minor amount of time. What if we are actually able to be right here now? And then in every moment that starts to make you feel afraid, like for instance, a parent threatening you or something threatening you in some way, like for me right now, the threat is coming from, I don't know what I'm going to do next in terms of money. That's the threat right now for me. But just recognize that like, in that moment of the threat feeling like it's real, I might search for the bunker to escape the shockwave. But what if I just go, oh, it's the shockwave. It's coming. I can't get rid of it. And I also could enjoy it. I could actually enjoy the complete disintegration of what I think my life actually is and actually connect with the continuity that causes that life to even be able to pretend that it is a thing. So the, the myth of the abiding self. And I won't go into nihilism or despair and I won't go into saviorism. I'll just be right here. Right? So there's lots of strategies to think about all of the various ways that we interpret threat in a Western society. All of the various ways. And it's very real because on the micro, if someone hits you with a bottle over the head, it's like a fucking thing. It's very specific, right? But on the sort of the macro where we're just kind of haunted by all of the things that could happen that we don't want, there is a lot of wiggle room inside of that to actually get your shit in order so that when the shockwave does finally hit, when you actually die, you're not, sh you're not shocked by it. You're actually like, oh yeah, yeah, transitions, totally. It's no big deal. And to go through that transition without a lot of regret and without a lot of, oh, but I didn't do this and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, a lot of this weird whiny thing that we do. But to actually go, no, I started cleaning that up 20 years ago and I did the best I could. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm trying to be good enough, right? And in the moments where our society is collapsing around us, we are having a lot of opportunities to practice that. And to circle back to my original conversation, I want all the white people listening to be able to, in the fucking moment, not let their fear hijack them or their threat response hijack them and just create another concept to defend themselves with, but to actually stop for a second and notice what's happening and see if there's an actual door out of the dream that you're hallucinating. Because the bomb's already gone off, honey. The end is already here. So you're not going to save yourself from the end. So stop trying. Stop wasting energy and polluting the conversation with all of your threat interpretations and just start to be a little more honest 
And then from the honesty, we actually might get to make a choice that's honest together. That actually might be something like, yeah, I can actually consent to that choice. Uh, together, we could consent together in a collaborative way that moves and doesn't stay fixed because we actually have a process of interpreting stimulus that would actually be, you know, more like life and less like the concepts we have about what we'd like to think this is or what's good or what's all that shit that doesn't mean anything. And then when black and indigenous people talk to us, they might actually want to talk to us instead of begrudgingly trying to like, you know, roll their eyes through a conversation with us. Cause that's really real. Well, this is the end of this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening that came here live. Uh, this will happen again next week and it's going to happen weekly for a while. Um, and, uh, it's gonna evolve because I don't really know how to run a live podcast yet. And there's probably all sorts of toys that I don't understand. But for now, it's a way for me to sort of churn and uh, churn the butter as it were. Um, so thank you all for being here. Uh, thanks to all the spirits that sort of are helping me to sort of create this space where I could maybe uh, be honest a little bit more. Um, thanks to all the ancestors who allow me to talk shit about them. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone. This will be up soon. Tell your friends, let's make it a real party, but you know, not too big, but you know, it could be pretty big, but you know, not too big. Thanks for coming. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Blessings, blessings. You can talk to me offline or wherever. Bye. Bye-bye.